Well, thank you for the welcome. And uh, welcome to everyone here and everyone who's watching us uh, online and in other centres. It's great to have you with us as well for this penultimate message in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you may remember many moons ago, I kicked this series off and I claimed that it was the most influential and challenging sermon that had ever been preached. Um, not my sermon, uh, but Jesus' sermon, just to be clear, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know about you, I, I'm sure you're not disappointed as we reach the other end of the series, hasn't it been? Don't you reflect on the fact that Jesus' words are the most influential and challenging that have ever been spoken? I mean, just think about some of the sound bites, the, the headline phrases that we've seen in this series. Blessed are the peacemakers. You are the salt of the earth. Love your enemies. Anyone who looks lustfully has committed adultery. Give us today our daily bread. No one can serve two masters. Seek first God's kingdom. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Do not worry. Do not judge. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, those phrases have stayed with us for 2,000 years, and still we're wrestling with the implications of them. And as Jesus then brings this sensational teaching into land, like any great preacher, in fact, he was the greatest of all preachers, Jesus brings it into land, not just with a polite finish, but with a call to action. Because he knows as a preacher that his message is not about imparting information, but it's about bringing transformation. Amen? That's what a sermon is for. It's not a lecture for a good reason. This wasn't the lecture on the mount. It's a sermon to bring transformation. And that doesn't happen automatically. It's not going to work for you, this sermon that you've heard. These many sermons on the sermon are not going to impact you simply because you turned up. It's not automatic like that. We have to respond. And so Jesus brings the plane into land with some really challenging calls to action. After all, remember the context. Way back at the start, I reminded us at the beginning of Matthew's uh, account of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us who was listening. And it's not just one set of people, it's two. We read in chapter 5 and verse 1, now when, the when Jesus saw the crowds, so that's one audience, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. That's another audience. And he began to teach them. So you notice what Jesus has in mind here is he wants to turn crowds into disciples. You see the difference? Can I ask you this morning, are you just in the crowd or are you truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, by the end of this message, with this incredibly challenging call to action, I hope we will have found out the answer to that. And I hope today that many people who are just part of the crowd will decide to become true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, in order to bring us through from being just part of the crowd, turning up, to being true disciples, following Jesus, Jesus brings a, a, a serious warning. And, and he does this out of kindness, he does it because he loves us, and he wants us to be arrested by a sound of warning that will cause us to reflect on where we're heading and who we're following and turn a different way. I don't know if you ever heard a warning sound, and it's interesting how you respond to it. When we lived in Peterborough, I remember one night, being we had a, we had a log fire in our house, and we'd set the log fire going, and then we'd gone to bed, and uh, we had a carbon... Uh, monoxide um, CO2 sort of alarm you know next to the fire as you need to have 
And in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., Charlotte and I woke up and the alarm was going off. It's that sort of arresting sound with a beep, beep, beep. And initially you think, did we leave the fridge door open? Or, you know, what is that sound? And then we realized, I came downstairs and Charlotte followed me and I realized it was the CO2 detector. And I kid you not, in my sleepy state, I picked the CO2 detector up and I walked out of the house. And Charlotte said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to put this outside. It's making a racket. And Charlotte was like, I think maybe we should go outside. (laughs) <laughs> rather, than, rather than putting the alarm outside, isn't the point of the alarm to tell us that we should go outside? She was like, go and get the children. <laughs> we're, we're going out. So I remember, we, we fortunately, we had a tiny little caravan at that time. In, and I remember, so we all huddled into the caravan at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, before working out that there really wasn't too much danger. Charlotte was wrong again. No, she, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> she didn't give me permission to say that. Um, But uh, she wasn't wrong, was she? She was right. What you do with an alarm is not think, oh, that's the problem. You think the alarm is indicating that we have a problem. So don't react to the teachings of Jesus as if because it's tough, he's got the problem. No, no, no. He loves us. And the alarm's going off this morning because he wants us to change for our good and for his glory. So as the alarm goes off, amen, you can clap at that point because... Passages like this, they, we need it. We need it probably more than we realize, just as we did in our sleepy state when we woke up to the alarm. So this morning as the alarm goes off, it's particularly around two things. Here's the headline. Here's the headline over the whole message. Be careful who or what you follow. Think about where it will lead. Be careful who or what you follow and think about where it will lead. And Jesus applies this principle in three directions. Firstly, in our cultural context. Where are you heading? That's the first thing he addresses in verse 13 to 14, where he uses this metaphor, which uh, has been read for us. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. Jesus considers life to be like a journey, and he says there are two roads that you can be on. You can either be on the broad way, it's spacious, it's open, there seem to be no boundaries or limitations, or you can be on the narrow way, which is confined and limiting and restrictive because there's only one narrow way that you can follow, and that's the only way to go. And Jesus says, this is the human race. Every human being is on either the broad way or the narrow way. Notice he's not a relativist, Jesus. He's not saying, oh, there are many ways. No, 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 there are two ways. You're either on the broad road, which leads to destruction, or you're on the narrow way, which leads to eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but as I speak those words out in our cultural context, it's challenging. It's not what we want to think is true. We believe in vague forms of universalism that so long as you're vaguely a nice person, you're all heading in the right direction. And Jesus is, is arresting us here with an alarm sound going off to say, actually, when you look back with an eternal perspective, you will see that that was not actually true. There is a broad way and there is a narrow way. And our Western culture over the last 200 years has been building the Broadway wider and more exciting than ever before through advances in technology, but also changes in our understanding of what it means to be a human. We have set up this incredibly elaborate route that in fact means there is no route. It's a route of self-expression, self-actualization, 
The goal of my life is to explore who I want to be and make sure that no one else restricts me or tells me what I should or shouldn't do. On this road, there are no right or wrongs. You can go whichever way you choose. You can be the person you want to be. Even our nature, even our bodies are not a limitation on the Broadway. We've even widened it to that extent that if you want to, you can have an operation and some medication. You can change who you are entirely. And so the Broadway appeals because it says, you're the boss, there are no rules or restrictions on you, the world's your oyster, be who you want to be. I summarize this, the sociologists call this expressive individualism. Expressive individualism, the individual must express themselves and no one else should or could tell them what's right or wrong. Wrong. I summarize it this way. Here, I think, is the narrative that has won the day in our culture. Discovering my inner self is key to happiness. I need to throw off restrictions and follow my heart. Once I am free to do what I want, life will have meaning and fulfillment. This is the broad, spacious way. And advertisers and YouTube influencers and therapists, they're all encouraging us to go further and faster down this Broadway, which seems to be downhill all the way, until we hear the words of Jesus, who almost rudely interrupts the party and says, with an alarm going off, this road leads to destruction. <laughs> Isn't that a challenge? This way, which seems to be the way that everyone else is going, what everyone else is doing, he says, if you follow this through to its logical conclusion, at the end of the road, it leads to destruction. You see, the truth is, just because everyone else seems to be on that road doesn't make it the right road, does it? I mean, don't we say this to our children? How many of us as parents have said, I don't care if all of your friends have <laughs> or all of your friends watch? No, 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 the crowd is never the guide to truth. Can I say that again? The crowd, the herd mentality of, well, this is why everyone else is going, so it must be right. How do we know? Who knows where this road is taking us? A massive experiment is still unfolding in our culture, and we've no idea which direction of travel we're going or where it will lead. But what we do know is the warning of Jesus. So we have something certain here in the Scriptures, and the question is, will we heed the warning. He warns us, I think, in two senses about the destruction. Firstly, at the very end of the road, there is a narrow, uh, sorry, a wide gate, and through that gate, in other words, on the other side of this life, there is destruction. Jesus here is alluding to the idea of the reality of both a heaven and a hell, and he taught both. And, and the truth is, if he is the Son of God, he has an insight to eternal realities that no one else can have, so he's probably worth listening to. <laughs> He speaks about Gehenna when he uses the word for hell, which is a rubbish dump. You can go to this valley just outside Jerusalem. I've been there myself. It's an intimidating little rocky valley. With, in, the, in the days of Jesus, it was loaded up with the city's rubbish and a continual fire burning there. And it was downwind because the stench was horrendous. And it was like that was the place that you just never wanted to go. And Jesus grabbed that word as a metaphor to say there is a place that you never want to go on the other side of this life, and broad is the way, and many will follow it, that leads to that kind of destruction. But I don't think he just is referring to what happens beyond this life. I think he's referring to what will happen to us in this life if we follow the broad way. Because whilst it sounds very appealing, can I ask the question, as a culture, are we actually winning? <laughs> I mean, it, it, depending on how you define life, it sounds tremendously appealing 
But meanwhile, what they don't tell you on the Broadway is the number... I mean, I just read some statistic recently about the extraordinary rise in the number of people on antidepressants right now. And that's not to condemn us if we're on that medication. It's simply to say it doesn't feel like the whole thing's working very well. There is a destructive pattern. There is a dehumanizing effect. There are addictions that dehumanize us. There are choice paralysis that leaves us stranded. The Broadway can be the most confusing of all ways. It can lead to a brokenness and a destructiveness that's because when, when you play life without any rules, it doesn't work. <laughs> I remember when I was playing rugby for our school. Uh, next door to our school, there was a girls' school, which was convenient when you're in an all-boys school. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and the girls' school played lacrosse. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever played lacrosse. I've played it once, and honestly, I have no idea still what that game is. Because as far as I could work out, there were no boundaries. There was no touchline. You could go anywhere. And they were just, they, they, honestly, they bullied us and they beat us up, those girls did. And I've still got issues to this day. And lacrosse for me, that's what, Jesus is talking about lacrosse here, right? He, <laughs> when there's no boundaries, when there's no rules, people get hurt. It's not fun. In the end, it leads to destruction. All the choices that we have, is that really freeing people? The, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, I thought, summed it up beautifully. The 21st century has left, left us with a maximum of choice and a minimum of meaning. Whew. For our good, the Lord Jesus Christ urges us then to find the narrow way which leads to eternal life. I was at a wedding a couple of days ago. It was just a beautiful wedding of two people who'd been on the Broadway. They'd played the field. They'd tried what this world has to offer. And then they'd met Jesus Christ. And they'd chosen the narrow way. And they'd found life and healing and hope. And as they journeyed down the narrow way, it was such a beautiful moment to hear them speak these narrow-minded words at the wedding, forsaking all others. Say, I'll be a bit more broad-minded than that. No, 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 absolutely. Forsake all others. Narrow yourself down to each other and you will find joy and happiness. <laughs> now that is, that is true relationally and that is true spiritually. Narrow your life down to Jesus Christ and you will find joy and happiness. I urge you this morning, get off the Broadway. Can you hear the alarm going off? Get off the Broadway. You will find life through Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, as well as our culture, to warn us about things within the church. You see, whilst there are plenty of deceiving temptations in the world, there are also deceiving voices within the Christian community. This is more subtle now. It's as if Jesus says, don't assume that everyone who quotes something from the Bible and calls himself a Christian is showing you the narrow way. No, 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 even from within the Christian community, you can be deceived. He says it this way. Uh, listen to this in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. <laughs> now notice the idea here is they look like one thing, but they are actually causing another effect. They look like sheep, they're actually Wolves and their prophets. That in Jesus' context, that was a reference to someone who claimed to speak on behalf of God. We might say a teacher today, someone who speaks out and says, This is what God says. And Jesus says, Be careful because there are true prophets, true teachers, and there are false prophets, pseudo prophets, false teachers. 
<laughs> now, at this point, I don't want you to become cynical. It's probably unlikely that you're sitting next to a false prophet right now, okay? <laughs> Unless you're called Becky Webster and married to somebody called Tom. That's very unlikely. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. How long is it? <laughs> I couldn't. Sorry, Tom. I'm sure he's here somewhere. Anyway, Tom on our teaching team is a great friend of mine, and it's only a matter of weeks before he'll get his revenge on me. Um, but it, it was worth it, frankly. <laughs> You're probably unlikely to be sitting next to a false teacher right now. But the point is this, Jesus is urging us, if you're going to follow the true way, you've got to have some discernment about you. You've got to have a spiritual discernment that understands that not everyone who's quoting the Bible is speaking in a way that leads to Jesus Christ. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian or a Christian leader will actually take you where you need to go. And the key issue is don't base your judgments on externals. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Jesus captures this idea in two ways. He speaks of wolves in sheep's clothing, so the external looks fine, but it's, it's what's on the inside. And then he speaks about a fruit sort of test. He says, you know, that the fruit idea is you, you might have two bushes. They've both got fruit on them, but until you actually examine them carefully or bite into it and taste it, you won't know, is this good fruit? So he's urging us to avoid judging merely by externals. I don't know about you, but as I reflect on these verses, I realize there's been a whole series of disappointing revelations of Christian leaders who have seemingly become, in hidden ways, infiltrated by sin and deception. And it's so sad, isn't it, when one of those stories breaks? I mean, whether that's the absolute horror of the child abuse scandals within Christian churches. Isn't it awful to think that someone would use the trust an opportunity of representing Jesus Christ to tear apart young lives in that kind of way. It's like, well, that is a wolf in sheep's clothing right there. And then, you, and then there are other scandals, much sadder in many ways, where, where there are leaders who've been caught in sexual immorality, global leaders, well-known apologists. Then there are others who've been accused and perhaps rightly have been challenged about controlling leadership you know, silencing whistleblowers and controlling the narrative and using coercion and fear to bring about their leadership. It's like, that is not the Jesus way. <laughs> and that is not going to lead us to eternal life. And so Jesus says, on the one hand, if you felt disappointed by those that in some way have influenced you, maybe you've read books or seen talks by people and then you've realized there was some hidden thing going on and it's all fallen apart. I want to encourage you on the one hand, Jesus warned us about this. Don't be so surprised. Matthew 7, 15 told us something like this would happen, right? So don't assume that, don't assume that everything that person has said was wrong. Truth is true even if it's spoken by someone living a lie. Truth is true even if it's spoken by somebody living a lie. So don't let it undermine your whole faith, but on the other hand, Jesus says, but let it be a warning. You need to become more discerning about who you follow and who you listen to. Now, how do we become more discerning? Well, we've got this fruit test. <laughs> it's the fruit that matters. What is this leading towards? And I think we can apply this in a couple of ways. Firstly, there is a, the fruit of doctrine. The fruit of doctrine. What is this person teaching and does it align itself with the teachings of the Holy Scriptures? That's, that's the most basic question, isn't it? Because 
so many cults actually begin holding Bibles and believing seemingly Christian truths, but they make some deviant error from the truth, and when you follow that deviance down its natural conclusion, it leads to an awful lot of damage and danger. I just literally, this past week, preparing this message, I saw two BBC articles, one about a cult that believed they knew when Jesus was going to return, and they found 77 people who'd been locked up in a church building for months and couldn't get out, and another that didn't believe that science and medicine was actually effective or was, was, was something you should use, and so they kept medicine from a girl with severe diabetes, and she died. You think this is crazy stuff, isn't it? These kinds of cults, and I know that probably feels a long way from home, but I also heard of a senior church leader who practically coerced his entire congregation to support Manchester City Football Club. <laughs> Honestly. Now, I... <laughs> Honestly. If that is not evil, I don't know what evil... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Again, I couldn't resist. That's two of the teaching team severely offended, already plotting my downfall. Uh, <laughs> but it was worth it, wasn't it? Absolutely it was. <laughs> you know, joking aside, one of, the things, one of the many things I love about Kingsgate and the leaders here is they deeply care about what the Bible says. I mean, I'm on the inside track here with the teaching team. The question we're asking, the question Dave asks is, what does the Bible say? Not what does culture say or what would everyone who's coming like to hear, but first question is, what does the Bible say? And that should be our question as we listen to TV, Christian TV or radio, as we read books and videos and these other influences that come on us, just because someone's quoting a couple of verses and then primarily highlighting their resources doesn't mean that is reliable teaching. What does the Bible say? Is this in accordance with what God has taught us in the Holy Scriptures? Amen? So beware of false doctrine. And I think you're in a good place here. I encourage you equally, don't just think, well, if I want to find something out, I'll search on Google. <laughs> no, people who search on Google can be quite gullible. Ask someone that you trust in the church. Let's talk about these things together. Let's discern truth as a community. What does the Bible say? And then not only the, the test of the fruit of doctrine, but also the fruit of a lifestyle. How is this person living and leading? Is their influence causing those who follow to become more like Jesus Christ? I mean, that's the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Jesus is basically in the Sermon on the Mount giving us inside out and upside down teaching. It's inside out in the, in the sense of he's saying, you can't just live a lie and a charade and then fake it. No, 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 the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about integrity and purity of heart. Aren't we sick and tired of leaders who think the rules do not apply to them right now? Well, we need to follow those who have lifestyles of integrity. Again, the closer I get to leaders in this church, the more I appreciate they're the real deal. And there's a trustworthiness there. And we need to follow those who have an integrity, who are honest and accurate about the truth, who are not self-promoting, who are not leading through coercion and fear, but leading in the way of Jesus Christ. So there's this fruit test. <laughs> and we apply it to doctrine, is what they're teaching from the Bible, and is it true? And we apply it to the lifestyle, is what we're tasting in their leadership, the fruit of the Sermon on the Mount, the Jesus way. And through those tests, 
We don't need to become cynical or fearful, but we can become discerning and follow those who lead us in the truth. Amen? Now, finally, Jesus briefly turns back to everyone. We've just talked about leaders, but now he's back on everyone. He's got everyone in his sights, and he warns us finally to examine carefully if we claim to be a Christian, are we really following Jesus Christ? Listen to this extraordinary challenge in the final point here. We've looked at culture. Where are you heading? We've looked at church. Who are you listening to? And finally, we think about the individual Christian Who are you following? Verse, uh, in the the reading, it's on the wrong page. It's verse uh, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Can you hear the alarm going off again? (laughs) For the third time now, he is warning us, just as there are pseudo-prophets or teachers there are also pseudo-Christians. And these Christians, they, they look like they're Christians because they know all the jargon. Lord, Lord, they know they've sung the songs, they've read the Bible, they've turned up and even served on rotors. But in the very essence of their hearts, they are not following Jesus Christ. That's the warning that he brings. Later in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, it's an even more challenging phrase. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. <laughs> and as I was reflecting just on that one verse, that question of Jesus, I thought, oh, Lord, help me to change. Amen? Help me not just to be saying and singing something, but to be actually living as a follower of Jesus Christ. As you can see on the screen here, that means not living with me on the throne <laughs> and God in my life to help me. That's not the Christian way. No, no, true discipleship, that's how the crowd think about it, but true disciples think differently. No, 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 it's God on the throne, and I am at his feet, ready to serve his call on my life. Lord, Lord, what are you actually asking of us? Jesus says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't actually do what I've asked? You know, we say, Lord, Lord, but then when it actually comes to it, so I'm not giving any of my hard-earned money, (laughs) I'm not forgiving that person for what they've done to me. If I want to look at that kind of sexual content or have a few too many drinks, that's my business. <laughs> no, no, no. We're to be disciples of Jesus, actually following him as our Lord. And I want to circle back oh, to the atmosphere in that wedding a couple of days ago as a reminder. This is the way to find our freedom. Amen? This, there is so much pain and brokenness if we follow the Broadway But when we follow the narrow way of Jesus Christ, we find life. The alarm is going off because he loves us. And he wants us today to know wherever we were at when we came in, as we leave, we are on the narrow way that leads to eternal life. I've got good news for those of us, like myself at times, who feel so challenged by this. You think, Lord, I need to change. I've got good news. God is the perfect (laughs) sat-nav. When we've gone on the wrong road, he can always reroute us. Amen? And I believe some of us today are hearing the message, the voice of God saying, take the next exit. Take the next exit. The way you are heading will not lead to life but destruction. I urge you today, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've been coming to church for many years or this is your first time, if you're on the Broadway, If the world has led you astray, 
Take the next exit. There is a way back to the narrow way, and it will lead you to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to... We're going to respond together. You know, I urge you, don't do what we did, what I did when that alarm went off and think, oh, it's the alarm that's the problem. (laughs) No, 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 the alarm is for our good. To awaken us out of our sleep that we might be saved and brought into fullness of life. And today, I want to invite you, if you are clear today, I want to follow Jesus Christ, but I know that in some ways I've been led astray. I followed the crowd too much. I've compromised when I should have been clear about my commitment to Jesus. I want to encourage you, will you take the next exit right now by putting your faith clearly in Jesus? And as I say, that might be for the first time. I'm gonna pray a prayer of response right now. That might be the first time you've ever prayed this, or you may have prayed this before, but you need to, in a new way, return to Jesus Christ. I wanna pray a simple prayer of response. Would you close your eyes right now? And I want to ask you, if you know that you've wandered on the, narrow, on, the, on the Broadway and today you wanna say, Jesus, I'm taking the exit, I'm getting back on track with you, would you, even just before I ask you to pray this prayer, would you just give me a wave? I wanna know who I'm praying with. Everyone else is bow their heads and close their eyes, but I wanna just know who am I praying with today? Who says, Jesus, I want the narrow way and I'm making a clear choice to find it? It's important to be clear on this. Thank you so much. Anybody else who's just saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus Christ today and I want to get back on that narrow way. Thank you. Anyone else? Just give me a wave. I want to see you and I want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Well done. Those of you who've lifted your hands, but let's all join them in praying this prayer. Let's say together out loud after me, Lord Jesus Christ, Sorry for following the crowd. I now take the exit. I leave the Broadway. I repent of sin. And I choose the narrow way. You are my Lord and my Savior. And today I follow you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that with you there's always another way. There's always a way back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the truth and the way and the life. And where we've been led astray by false teachings, you are the truth and we believe you today. Where we've been led astray by tempting voices, you are the way and we follow you today. And I pray now as we come to communion, may all of us do deep business with you in our hearts. Thank you now as we sing and celebrate the wondrous cross. We come back to the heart of our faith. You took our sin and shame upon yourself that we might receive forgiveness and a new start. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.